Well, good morning, church family. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. Authenticity is the quality of being real or genuine, not fake or produced. And and authenticity is just all the rage in our world right now, isn't it? So much so that restaurants are are having to tell us that their food is authentic. It's real. Uh, Food labels, authentic and real. And I kid you not, it goes so far as shampoo. I was in the shower this morning washing my hair, and I noticed my wife's shampoo bottle. I'm not sure about mine. I go for the cheap stuff. My wife's shampoo bottle, it's marketed as being cruelty-free, authentic, real ingredients. And the shampoo, that's like just the world that we live in right now. We're desperate for authenticity. It's everywhere, the, the desire for authenticity, for what is real, what is genuine, People are hungry for something that's not fake and not processed. And I think it's interesting that generally speaking, if you've been like paying attention to culture and kind of sub-church culture in the American world right now, people aren't flocking to the church to find authenticity. In fact, over and over and over again, the church, at least by by, by many swaths of our culture, the church is considered to be inauthentic, to be hypocritical, to be fake. Especially as you pull younger generations, many people who grew up in the church and, and they've left the church and they want nothing to do with it now, and you ask them why, they say, well, it's full of a bunch of hypocrites. People are not authentic. They're not real. And a lot of this relates to like our politics and some of the hot button issues. And, and I could stand here all morning and give examples, legitimate examples of why people are frustrated with the church and a lack of authenticity. I'm not going to do that this morning because my primary concern isn't about like our politics and the way that we handle uh, hot button issues. I think there's something underneath all of that. I think that's a surface thing. I think there is an inauthenticity around that, but, it, but it's on the surface and it's driven by something deeper, something deeper that the church has to reckon with. My primary concern for us, for our church and, and the church at large is a lack of authenticity related to our shallow intimacy with God and our misplaced trust. Shallow intimacy with God and our misplaced trust in God. And that's kind of the the deep roots to our lack of authenticity. And then that plays out in how we deal with politics and hot-button issues and cultural issues. But but it it starts with this, this lack of intimacy with God and a misplaced trust. See, in reality, many Christian circles... We talk about having intimacy with God, and and we talk about trusting God, but in reality, we try to fix our world and even save ourselves and save other people by doctrinal creeds or religious achievements or political alignment rather than simply trusting Jesus Christ, the carpenter from Nazareth who was crucified on a cross. We, we, We run into these worldly efforts to try and save ourselves, save the world. And it's giving a picture of a lack of authenticity. People are experiencing this and frustrated with it. And I'm excited that today in our passage, Jesus gives us a picture of authentic faith. He's going he's gonna to give us some example as he interacts with some different people about what it looks like for us to grow in authenticity in our faith. And so let's look at it together. I'm going to invite you to stand As I read our text for today, John chapter 4, we're going to do verse 39 through 54. There's a little bit of overlap here from what Matt preached last week. We'll kind of pick up at the end of Jesus' interaction with the the Samaritan woman at the well. 
And we'll talk about that story just a little bit, and then we'll transition into another story. John chapter 4, 39 through 54. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And just let, remi- let me remind you, for those of you who weren't here last week, the preceding passages about the woman at the well, the Samaritan at the well who comes to Jesus, and, and he offers her eternal living water. She runs back to town, and she tells all these people, and she's an outcast. She, she is looked down upon by her society, her community, her, her neighbors. She runs back and she tells them about Jesus. And so this is where we're picking it up. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. That's a miracle in and of itself because this woman was not believed. They believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, being Jesus, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed from Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. If you are comfortable with it or physically able, I would invite you to just kneel with me for a moment as we get started this morning. Jesus, we bow. In a posture of humility to remind ourselves that we are not God, but you are. Lord, we ask that you would meet each one of us where we're at this morning. And remind us that in your presence, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. You may have a seat. 
This is an incredible passage, and as we go through it, we're going to look at some characteristics of authentic faith, and this certainly is not going to be an exhaustive list. We're going to look at four elements of authentic faith that we see in this passage today, and there's many more elements. Like, I don't even really like these lists, even though I created it, and, you know, this is the way that I'm going to preach through the text. Those of you type A people will appreciate that there's some bullet points and some order to this, but I, I, I want you to see that there are some elements to authentic faith here in this passage. This isn't all that authentic faith entails, and this isn't even all that we can wring out of this passage. It's one of the amazing things about God's word is that you can wring so much out of every verse, every passage, and so one of the challenges when we study it, when we study it, when we observe it, is trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to zero in on today? And so this is what I believe God has for us this morning, but I believe he has a lot more for each one of us as we continue to work through the gospel of John. I would encourage you just every week, Whatever passage is preached, read it before the sermon, read it after the sermon, and listen to God's voice bringing his word alive to you. Don't take my word for it. Get to know his word and hear his voice. And so this morning, I'm going to give you four elements of authentic faith that I see, but I hope you can find more yourself. I hope you can see some of this as we go, and I hope that we hear from Jesus together as we look at it this morning. First element of authentic faith that I see in this passage is a shift from hearing about Jesus to hearing Jesus. A shift from hearing about Jesus to hearing Jesus. And that's even my whole point in what I just said about you reading this passage and hearing Jesus' voice for yourself. I'm honored to preach here at this church. And I hope that you hear God's voice through me as I preach. But what we need as a community, even more than to hear from the pastor and the worship team, God's voice and God's love, is we need to individually hear God's voice for ourselves. There's this amazing thing that happens here in this passage. As the Samaritan woman meets with Jesus, Jesus speaks truth with grace into her life. Her life is transformed. If you missed last week's sermon, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. Matt did a phenomenal job preaching about the Samaritan woman's interaction with Jesus. And, and we're told in verse, the verses before 39 that she runs back to the town. Pick it up again in verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, that's Jesus, and remember believed, that, that Greek word is pistis. It's not just a head knowledge, it's a, it's a trust, it's a faith. They don't just have some, some mental assent to some kind of doctrinal creed. There's something in them that's being changed. They're trusting that this man is different than all the other prophets, all the other healers, all the other teachers, all the other religious authorities that they have ever listened to. So they believed in him, in Jesus, because of this woman's testimony. He told me all that I had ever did. That was her testimony. This man looked into my life. He saw the deep recesses of my soul. He revealed my inward being, the parts of me that I am ashamed about and that I have been shunned for. He saw it, and he met it with grace and compassion and hope, and he called me forward. That's what this woman is telling this town, and they're, they're believing her testimony. So, so when the Samaritans came to him, so they, they came to Jesus, come to see him for themselves. They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And this is a miracle in and of itself as well. If you remember from last week, the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. There was a rivalry between these people. And so for the Samaritans to invite Jesus, a Jew, to stay with them for two days, it, it, it was against their normal cultural trends. It pushed against their prejudices and their racism and their, their, their hatred of other people. 
but something is happening in their heart. There's something stirring. They invite Jesus to stay with them for two days. And, and verse 41, and many more believed because of his word. Because Jesus is teaching and preaching and encouraging and healing. People are believing. Verse 42 is key here. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. See, what happens in the people in Samaria, and what has to happen for you and I, if we're going to move towards a more authentic faith, and if the world around us that is desperate for authenticity, and they want to see an authentic faith, is that you and I, we have to make a shift from hearing about Jesus to hearing Jesus for ourselves. We have to learn to hear the voice of Jesus. We have to learn to sit with Jesus. When we hear a sermon, when we hear a good podcast, when we read a good book, it ought to cause us to run to Jesus, not to run to the pastor, the author, or the podcaster. See, one of the reasons that the church has, I don't want to say the church has become ineffective because it hasn't. God is doing incredible, amazing things through the church. But one of the reasons that people are failing to see authenticity in the church is because many Christians become apologists for a theological tribe, a a philosophy of ministry, or a style of church, or a style of music, or, you know what I mean? Right? A size of church? A a certain way to study the Bible? These are things that we do. We're humans. We're idiots. You know it. We do. How many conversations have you been in that have been judgmental of other movements because, well, they didn't quite do it the way that I would have done it or the way that I was taught to do it. And so we become apologists for theological tribes or, or certain philosophies of ministry or a favorite posture, pastor, podcaster, or author, or a political affiliation. And we tend to espouse a system of belief rather than the man to be believed in. This is so prevalent in so many churches, and it's why many younger generations are frustrated and leaving. Because sometimes, well-meaning as we may be, we push people towards, well, you gotta, you got to read this author. His theology is just right. you gotta, you got you to listen to this. And, and there's a time and a place for that, right? The Samaritan's testimony was incredibly important for creating this revival in Samaria. Incredibly important. She's the reason that they heard about Jesus and they were intrigued with Jesus. But that's not deep enough to create an authentic faith. It has to move from a testimony from a person about Jesus to hearing Jesus for ourselves. Church family, when you listen to a Bible teacher, in whatever mode you listen to that Bible teacher, I hope you hear God's voice through them. Absolutely. But they cannot be a substitute from hearing God yourself. Intimacy with Jesus always trumps information about Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus. These people came and they spent time with him. They opened up their homes and their lives and their heart to Jesus. And they let Jesus peer into the inner recesses of their soul. In order for you to hear Jesus, that takes time It takes vulnerability. It takes some work. It takes you wrestling with the text. It takes you sitting in silence. It takes you abiding in Christ. Not just running to a little video to figure out the answer or a blog or a podcast. It's easier. 
And sometimes you don't trust, like, well, am I actually hearing God or not? And, and there's a time and a place to check what God is revealing in your heart and your soul with Scripture, with community, with, with other leaders. But don't short-circuit your relationship with Jesus by listening to people talk about Jesus rather than listening to the voice of Jesus yourself. Hearing from Jesus always trumps hearing about Jesus. There's this incredible book by Dallas Willard called Hearing God, which I highly recommend. It's, it's, it's a pretty long, deep, and lengthy book, and it has some things that will really, uh, if you grew up in like kind of a more fundamental evangelical church circle, this will probably, it'll cause you to question some things, and you'll be like, I don't know if I believe what he's saying, but in a really good way, I'd encourage you to read this book if you're a reader. He says in here, there's a desperate need for large numbers of people throughout various arenas of life to be competent and confident in their practice of life in Christ and in hearing his voice. Such people would have the effect of concretely redefining Christian spirituality for our times. They would show us an individual and corporate human existence lived freely and intelligibly from a hand-in-hand conversational walk with God. That is the biblical ideal for human life. And that is the biblical ideal, that God abides in you. He wants to know you and he wants you to know him. He doesn't need all of your mediators Jesus is your mediator, and the Holy Spirit has been given to you, and now it's our job to spend time hearing the voice of Jesus. So I have a question for you to consider this morning. How, where, when do you hear from Jesus? That's something, and if you don't know how to answer that, do some work. Do some hard work, some soul work to figure that out for yourself. How, when, and where do I hear Jesus' voice? And then how can you prioritize listening to him this week? If you know how to answer that question, how and where do I hear from Jesus? Spend some time this week listening to his voice. The authenticity of your faith depends on you hearing from Jesus. And this doesn't necessarily mean an audible voice from heaven. For some of you, it might be. There are times and periods and seasons when God does miraculous things and he may speak in an audible word. Oftentimes, it's an impression. It's as we read scripture, things are illuminated. They jump off the page to us. They meet us where we're at, and they they give us wisdom and answers and and, and direction for what we're going through in life. It's what it looks like to hear the voice of God. I mean, community is a piece of it, right? Listening to preaching, listening to Bible teaching is a piece of it. Being a part of a a small group, studying the Bible, sharing life, that's a piece of hearing Jesus' voice. But my fear is we rely on those things too much and and we don't hear from Jesus ourselves. And so if you know how to answer that question, spend some time this week thinking through how you can prioritize listening to Jesus. If you don't know how to answer that question, start asking it. Start exploring. Start experimenting. Ask some people that you know. Send me an email. I would be happy to get together with you or give you some resources for how you can begin to hear the voice of Jesus. That's step number one in an authentic faith from this passage. It's just so clear that the movement in this passage is from hearing about Jesus to hearing Jesus. If we want to offer more authenticity to the world around us, we as the followers of Jesus need to spend time hearing from Jesus ourselves. Number two, the the next 
element of authentic faith is the type of desperation that leads to trying Jesus' solutions over ours. Let's keep going in the text. Uh, verse 43 through 45, I'll just skip that. It tells us, it's just kind of a, a little detail about Jesus' movement here. He doesn't, he departs because he, he knows that a prophet doesn't have honor in, in his own town. And uh, there's, you can read some study notes in your Bible to figure out more about that. I'm not that interested in it for some reason. So we're just going to skip to verse 46. So he came again to Canaan in Galilee, where he had made water into wine. And Pastor Kyle preached on this text a few weeks ago. If you missed that, you can go back and listen to it. It was Jesus' first miracle, first sign done in the book of John. And it was the celebratory event in Canaan. And now he's back, and, and it's a different event. There's mourning, lamenting. Maybe you noticed the shift this morning, even between the second song that we sang and the third song. The second song that we sang was victorious, all hail King Jesus. It was loud, the band was in it, it was like, yes, I'm more than a conqueror. Then it went into the song, dear refuge for my weary soul. Kind of a a down note, a lament. This is the Christian life. We see that even in this experience with Jesus here. When he's in Canaan, he's there for a wedding, it's celebratory, he turns water into wine. It's this amazing event, and now he's back. Pick it up in the middle of verse 46, and it says, And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. See the shift there from a wedding to an illness? This is the life that we live, is it not? Like as you read the scriptures, as you bathe in the scriptures, you're going to see the full range of human experience and emotion. So Jesus is back in this familiar place and there's a different tone. There's an illness that has come over this official this official, that, that word for official there, it, it, it's royal, dignitary. He's, he's probably part of the entourage of Herod. So he's a man of wealth, of prestige, of power. He's well-connected. He has all the resources that he could need to try and heal his son. So at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from, Ju- from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and to heal his son. For he was at the point of death. You feel the desperation? Those of you with kids, imagine your child on their deathbed. There's nothing you can do. This man, like I said, he's well connected. He's tried everything. He's in the entourage of Herod. He has all of the essential oils at hand. He has the best medical professionals at hand. He, he has the best like natural path way to treat this illness and also medical way to treat this illness. He, you know, if we think in our day and age, that those are the two routes, right? You can go the natural path or you can go the medical path. Or, or maybe there's a mental illness here. He has all the therapists, all the psychiatrists, all the medications at hand. Whatever it takes, he's got it. That's his position in society. But it's not working. He's desperate. His son, his child, is at the point of death. And so what does he do? He's he's out of options. He's heard this story about this man named Jesus who has some supernatural power. He he turned water into wine in the same region. I wonder if, if he did that, maybe he might be able to heal my son. Everyone else has been trying. We've been trying everything, and we're at the end of our rope. The end of verse 47 For he was at the point of death. Parents, put yourself in that place. Feel this story. Those of you who aren't parents, think about a a kid in your life who you just have an affinity for, a love for, maybe a niece or a nephew. 
maybe a neighbor kid. Maybe you're one of those types who just doesn't like kids. Think about somebody that you like. <laughs> Hopefully you like a person. And imagine them on their deathbed. And everything has been tried. That's the desperation that this official has. And it, and it leads him to Jesus. Verse 48, so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I'll come back to this statement in a little bit. I'll skip over it for now. But verse 49 says, and the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. There's just this desperation to him. He's tried everything else and it hasn't worked. And in authentic faith, what I want us to see this morning is that if we want to grow in authenticity, true, genuine, authentic faith, trust of Jesus, we have to come back to a place of desperation that leads us to trying Jesus over all else. This does not mean, hear me clearly, this does not mean that you shouldn't go to the doctor if you need to go to the doctor. This does not mean that you shouldn't use medication if you should use medication. I'm not saying to discount all of that, but what I am saying is we need to be careful that we don't put our solutions, our world solutions, our, our scientific solutions before or above Jesus. You guys know this type of desperation where you've been there, you've tried everything, and, and for some reason it hasn't worked. And, and, and desperation in Jesus does not always equal healing the way that it does here in this story. At least physical healing, momentary healing. I'm going to talk about that again in a minute. It relates to kind of the end of this story. What I want you to see here with this point as we look at these verses is that this man had a type of desperation that caused him to run to Jesus and to fall down before Jesus and to, to try Jesus. He doesn't even know before this that it's going to work, but he's willing to give it a try. So some of you, you've tried everything in life, but you're, maybe you're holding back on trying Jesus. I would say give it a try. See what happens. And, and not just for your like, momentary healing, but for whatever is going on in your soul. Give it a try. See what happens. This type of desperation, we see it all over the scriptures. Anytime somebody is power, powerfully transformed by Jesus and then powerfully used by Jesus, it's because they come to Jesus at a point of desperation. Sometimes Jesus creates the desperation in them. And so you may be going through extreme suffering right now in your life. And maybe Jesus has brought it upon you to get your attention. Jesus is not vindictive. He's not a God who's up there just trying to smite you. He might be allowing suffering and pain in your life to bring you to a point of desperation to cry out to him. It, it may just be the result of that we live in a fallen world. Right? I mean, there's, there's debate and conversation about, is, you know, does God cause everything, you know, in his sovereignty? Is, you know, is every element of suffering and oppression, like, caused by God? I, we live in a fallen world. Who knows? I don't know how that works. My friend and I were having this debate last week about, like, well, God is sovereign. And I'm like, you know, that's the age-old conversation, like, that you have in college. We were having that again last week because we haven't moved past college. Like, okay, so if I punch you right now, is God, did God cause that, you know, that whole thing? Like, if I do something stupid, did God cause that for your growth? Or, you know, don't get caught up in that. The point here is that things happen in life 
that bring us to a point of desperation. And at those moments, at those points, do you run to Jesus and are you willing to try Jesus as the solution? These moments draw people to Jesus. And also, if we're honest, these moments, these points of desperation is what keep most of us walking with Jesus. You know this, when things are going well in your life, it's a lot easier to tune God's voice out and to just get going. But, but when moments of desperation hit, this is what helps us to sustain and to press forward. I want to ask you two questions related to this observation this morning. Have you become self-reliant or others dependent? Maybe you're, you're lacking in authentic faith because you just, you're just relying on yourself. You don't really need God. Sure, you love him, you, you, know, you pray, you give money, you come to church, you do that, but you don't really need God. Or maybe you are really needy and you've become very dependent on other people. Now, other people are, are helpful and we are dependent on other people and we should have a, a, a respectable level of self-reliance, maybe. But we can't substitute these things for a desperation for Jesus. So the second question is, how can you foster a renewed desperation for Jesus? In authentic faith is always the outworking of a desperation for Jesus. If you're not desperate for Jesus, the world is going to look at you and think that you're fake. Now, you can't muster up desperation. And so what we do is say, God, make us desperate for you. Make us hungry for you. Make us dependent on you. Do whatever you will. And that's a risky prayer. But do whatever you will to make me desperate for you. And it's in this place that authenticity grows. Third element of authenticity this morning is taking Jesus at his word. Taking Jesus at his word. And so... This desperate man, this desperate official comes to Jesus. Jesus is his last hope. He comes to Jesus. Verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. You see that incredible response? I think it's partially because he's desperate. When you're desperate, and, and if we're honest, we're all desperate, like in our, in our self-deceit, we think we're self-reliant or, or that we can be others dependent, but if we get down to it, like in moments of honesty and brokenness, you know how desperate you are. And, and out of that desperation comes this willingness to take Jesus at his word. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed. Again, pistis. It's not just that he had a mental assent that because I came to Jesus, he said my son will be healed, therefore he will be healed. It's, it's, this, it's this, this, this movement, this, this shift, this change, this transformation, this trust. And when you're desperate, you're a lot more willing to trust someone else or something new or something different. So desperation is key for an authentic faith. God, would you make us desperate for you and you alone? God, I thank you for the resources and the, the people and the intellect and the wisdom that you have given. 
to people creating your image and likeness. God, I pray that we would use all of what the world has to offer in a good, right way, but I pray that we would not substitute our desperation for you for solutions that come from man. Make us desperate, Lord Jesus. And then out of that desperation, we take Jesus at his word. Sometimes, I would say oftentimes, faith just requires us to believe or to trust what Jesus has said, regardless of whether we understand it, regardless of whether or not we agree with it, or regardless of whether or not we like it. That, that's what we're seeing here, this interaction, this official with Jesus. Jesus just says, go, your son will live. And, and the man doesn't debate Jesus, at least from what we can tell from the story. And, and sometimes we don't grow in authenticity in our faith because we just want to debate Jesus. We don't like what Jesus said. And so we actually want to try and convince Jesus that our ideas are better than his. Sometimes we, we don't want to surrender to Jesus. We don't, we, don't, we don't want to take Jesus at his word. But authentic faith requires us just trusting Jesus. And so I'm praying for myself and for you even here and now in this moment that God would help us to take Jesus at his word. That we would get out of the negotiation chair with Jesus. That we would read what he has to say. We would take it at face value. And when I say take it at face value, I don't mean doing the hard work to understand the culture, the context, the language, right? But sometimes we we do so much of that because we're trying to reinterpret Jesus' words to fit our social or, or cultural boxes whatever seems platable to us or to our culture. In an authentic faith, we'll say, yeah, that's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus meant. Do I trust it or do I not trust it? Authentic faith requires us trusting Jesus, taking him at his word. Regarding faith, Jackie Hill Perry has this great, great line. She says, every single thing God has ever said or ever will say is true. Every single thing Every single thing God, God ever has said or will say is true. Faith is the simplicity of taking God's word for it. That's it. Authentic faith requires taking God's word for it. This doesn't mean you don't have doubts, you don't have questions, you don't wrestle with things, but at the end of the day, are you willing to surrender your own interpretation, surrender your own ideals, surrender your, your own hesitations and say, I'm going to take Jesus' word for it and I'm going to rest in his word. Question related to this, is there anything Jesus is telling you today? I, I encourage you today, this week, spend some time listening to Jesus, right? Element number one is we want to hear Jesus, not just about Jesus, and so spend some time listening to him, and then as you do that, is there anything that he's telling you? Is he telling you something like, go, your son will live. Go, you will live. Go, your daughter will live. Go and live. Go and stop doing this. Go and start doing this. When we come to Jesus, when we slow down, when we listen to him, he will speak to us. And then will you take him at his word? And the, the fourth element is related to this. It's action that precedes results. Action that precedes results. And so pick it up again in verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. 
the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Again, that word believe, pistis, faith, trust, belief. It's action tied to a change. And I find it so interesting that the man just goes before there's any evidence that his son is healed. Jesus said, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met with him and told him that his son was recovering. See, no evidence. Jesus speaks. He takes Jesus at his word. He starts moving in the direction, heading home. Jesus said it, therefore I'm going to go. He's on his way home, and as he's on his way home, he meets his servants on the road, and they say that your son is recovering. He's getting better. Verse 52, so he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. What a gracious God. And he himself believed in his old household, and And just a reminder here that faith isn't linear, that belief, it's evolving, it's growing, right? We were told in verse 50 that the man believed and he went on his way. And then we're told in verse 53 that after there's evidence of a healing, that he believed in his own whole household. So there was this type of belief that caused him to, to put his faith into action without any results, right? There was, there was this belief, there was this trust, there was this faith that got him moving home. But then on the way, he gets confirmation that the miracle happened, and it gives him more belief. And so in the journey of faith, like sometimes you're doubting, sometimes you're wondering, sometimes you're questioning, sometimes you're, you're, you're moving, and you haven't seen the results yet, and you're wondering, and Jesus may reconfirm that later and deepen your belief, and he may extend that belief to other people. This is the mystery of faith. We keep walking with Jesus, and and he keeps massaging faith and belief into us. I love that the official just, he turns and he heads back home with nothing other than Jesus' word, and then on his way, it's confirmed that Jesus has healed his son. Martin Luther King Jr., said that faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Right? You, sometimes at night you wake up and you're going to go down the stairs and maybe you don't flip on all the lights because oh, it's too bright. But you know, like as long as you get the first step in a railing, you can probably make it down. That's faith. You're moving even though you don't see. Or the Apostle Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. Authentic faith requires action that precedes results. Now, I want to pause just for a moment here and talk about this this idea that this this boy was healed. And Jesus' comment here in verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And, you know, and this idea of, like, taking Jesus at his word and, and, and faith and action, action that precedes results. And how nice that this man had his son healed. Many of you have lost people when you were praying in faith. There wasn't a healing. And that will happen again. And so what's that all about? Is that your lack of faith? Is it not taking Jesus at his word? Is it that, 
right? We can get in our own heads and, and religion and different theological camps will get in your own head and give you a bunch about this. I, I just want to just pause here. And in his book, Hearing God, Dallas Willard says that oftentimes the more spectacular something is, the less maturity there is. The more spectacular, the more signs and wonders that are required, the less maturity of faith and trust that there is. And, and, and I think it's often right. I don't want to say that that's always the case, but I think he's often right. The spectacular, and we see this throughout the scriptures, the spectacular, the signs and the wonders, they tend to get people's attention. But they don't fuel or sustain our sanctification, which that's a, if you're newer to the church, that's a theological word for our continued growth in trusting Jesus and becoming like Jesus. The spectacular, the signs and the wonders, they often get our attention. They wake us up to the possibility of God or the reality of Jesus, but they don't sustain our continued growth day in and day out walking with Jesus. Signs often lead towards superficiality. But what we see in the scriptures is that suffering generally produces endurance and hope and faith. And so we should pray and ask God for signs and wonders. We should in desperation say, heal my son, heal my daughter, heal my friend, heal my parent, heal this situation, take care of this. Absolutely, we can come to God in that way. And he may choose to hear that prayer and heal that person. And he may not. And the mystery of that isn't up to us to to decide and to figure out. I think part of what Jesus gets at here in verse 48 when he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He's saying that, that signs and wonders, they are what they are. They may get your attention. They may get you looking in Jesus' direction. But Jesus is calling for a deeper trust, one that, one, that, one that goes past signs and wonders, one that continues to walk with Jesus in the suffering, in the day in and the day out. And God in his mercy in this story used Jesus to heal this son. And sometimes God in his mercy does that here and now for us. And other times God in his mercy and grace he chooses not to. And it's up to him to decide if it's a time to get our attention to wake us up or if it's time to, to stretch our faith, to, to cause us to persevere, to build in us endurance and perseverance. That's up to God. And so I want to just wind this down by reminding us of these four elements. If you want to grow in authentic faith, it's fueled and sustained by hearing Jesus, not simply hearing about Jesus. Take time this week. To, to work towards hearing the voice of Jesus. Authentic faith is a result of being desperate for Jesus. Take time this week to, to, to assess your life and, and determine whether or not you're relying on other things more than Jesus. Maybe you've replaced your desperation for Jesus with something else. Get back to a desperation for Jesus. Authentic faith is, is fueled by taking Jesus at his word. Assess your life this week and say, are there things that I'm just neglecting that Jesus has said or I'm reinterpreting them or misinterpreting them and do I need to get back to the simplicity of faith to just take Jesus at his word? And authentic faith is, it's fueled and sustained by doing what Jesus says, putting your action before results.
So I want to invite you into that this week. And one of the things that Jesus has commanded us to remember him in is communion. One of the things that we do every week at Park Community Church, we want to take Jesus at his word and have actions that precede results. And so communion, it it, it can be like anything else, right? We do it every week, so it could become mundane. It could just become a normal rhythm, another thing that we do. And, and, And that's partially why we do it. Because authentic faith is grown by taking Jesus at his word and doing what he has called us to do. And he has called us to remember him in communion. In Matthew 26, he's with his disciples the night before he's crucified. He says, now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. And after they ate the bread, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of many. Let me pray. And then you can come and visit the communion stations whenever you feel led and ready. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. I thank you that even when our faith wavers, when it is inauthentic, that you draw us back. Lord, I thank you that we're not saved by the strength of our faith, but we're saved by you. And so I pray that we would continually look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Even this morning as we come to the table, I pray that you would nourish our faith with the symbol of your body given for us and the reminder of your blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, I pray that you would create in us a a deep desperation, an ability to hear your voice, a, a willingness to take you at your word, and the type of action that would move us before we see any results. Lord, nourish us now for your glory, our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray in Jesus' name.